Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. making a video all day and I'm not quite sure why. I'm not sure if my few days of feeling good are subsiding today and I'm transitioning into the week or so worth of kind of blahness and I'll call Hardy Nutritionals on Monday and see what they think about the way it's going. I ended up just watching a YouTube video of the top 200 songs in terms of views on YouTube. And I stared at that for probably two hours. And so yeah, I've just been kind of staring at the screen, which is something I don't usually do. But I definitely allow myself to whenever that's what seems to be good for my brain. And speaking of looking at the screen, but in a more productive way, today I watched Katie Motram's documentary called Emerging Proud. It was released today and I think she had an event in the UK and there were events held in certain places around the world and the documentary was premiered and so happy emerging proud day I'm not sure if it's an annual thing and I thought it was very good I thought it was very well done and the way she did it was from clips that people either sent in about their stories of spiritual emergence I don't use that term very often. I use my own term as map consciousness to indicate so-called mania and psychosis, but also meaning, action potential, or a lot of different things. And also that it's sort of like unmapped territory. It's something that we're exploring in consciousness. But anyways, spiritual emergence is another term or spiritual emergency and I could try to use that more often because it's not good to keep saying so-called mania and psychosis. I don't know why I say that. I think it's to delineate between the good and the not as good parts of the process. And in the video they talked about dark night of the soul or shadow um, as opposed to so-called psychosis. And maybe when I continue to go through this process of coming off meds, if I have to go through some of the elements that are not yet finished, perhaps I can work on reframing those and not thinking of them in terms of psychosis, which I already don't. It's just right now I think 
handy to actually make videos talking about some of the common language because if I only use uncommon terms then people might not know what the heck I'm talking about and by weaving them both in together hopefully eventually through conversation and knowing what we're talking about we can create our own language that we don't have to use any of those terms at all and those terms weren't used at all barely in the whole documentary which was nice and I thought that the selection of clips was very good and it gave a lot of different examples of the depth and breadth of the experience the possibilities and I noticed some of the language that I use with myself in there one person near the end was talking about how this has something to do with the evolution of humanity and I've talked about that and there were a few other things that people mentioned that were really clear to me that we speak a lot of the same language inside and how we would talk about it if we started talking about it more might just be kind of self-evident one person might say something and then the other person might be like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. That's a good way to describe it. Let's talk about it in that way. Or it's not about one way, actually. It's talking about it in, in lots of different ways. And not just talking about it, but what language the process wants to create and how that process wants us to relate. So I thought it was very well done. And I actually made it into the film, in the credits. Let's see if you can pick me out. And some of my story is going to be in the book that goes with the film. And I haven't seen that yet. So it's on Vimeo, I th think that's how you pronounce it, and it's called Emerging Proud. And it's definitely worth a watch, and I think there's quite a bit going on in that movement. And when I go home, I do want to get more involved somehow and not be such a chicken. And hopefully that goes along with being able to taper off these meds. That would be awesome if when I went home I was off the meds and I could speak from that and things were just roses and butterflies for the rest of my life. Well, I'm not expecting that, but there's been three films released lately which one is Katie Motram's Emerging Proud, another is Healing Voices, and another is Crazy Wise. And I think the cost of production is probably Katie Motram's The Least, Healing Voices The Middle, and Crazy Wise The Most Expensive. But I actually enjoyed Katie's documentary a bit more than Crazy Wise, and I enjoyed Healing Voices more than Crazy Wise, and I'm not sure why that is. Um, Perhaps because Crazy Wise 
focuses mainly on the shamanic interpretation and and I'm not sure. It seemed it was nice to hear from a lot of different people in Katie Motram's um, film because it gives a little bit more weight to these things happening in people than just having two people shown or three people shown. I'm not sure. I just I thought it was I thought it was really good. And I like all of them. Anybody who releases a film with this kind of information, it's super awesome. And somebody even mentioned Krishnamurti in the Emerging Proud documentary, just kind of in passing, but I thought that was kind of cool because he's one of the people that I have studied over the years. And one thing I've talked about, but I don't really emphasize, but possibly could more, is the fact that it's a healing process. And I don't talk about that very much. And when somebody said that in the film, it made me think about what I was talking about with the change in myelination in bipolar mentioned by Patricia Louise. And I was thinking about how it's almost like the brain is sending more myelin up there in order to help heal that area of the brain, kind of like inflammation in any other part of our body. When we have an injury of some kind, it will get somewhat inflamed and that's part of the healing process. And it seems like the brain has a similar mechanism but with the myelin because it doesn't have the same inflammatory process in the rest of the tissue of the body. So to me, it seems like inflammation. So it's this inflammatory process in the brain almost, but it's part of the brain's healing process when these psychological things happen. So when this energy comes in to sort of sort out some of these psychological things happening, it is also changing the structure of the brain because our thoughts and everything are tied up in the brain cells and Krishnamurti would say that thought is a material process so when all of that is going on overdrive and and also it's chaotic and it's reorganizing it makes sense in a way that there would be some kind of change in the brain cells and maybe sending myelin up to the prefrontal cortex and also to the lateral ventricles as a way of preparing the brain for reorganization. And that's part of healing too. When we have an injury, say we sprain our ankle, it has to heal, it has to reorganize, it has to recycle some of the old broken tissue and, and create new tissue and, and buffer the process in the meantime. And I have a feeling that's partly what's happening in the brain. It's inflammation. It's not just brain disease or demyelination. It's 
reorganization. And if the brain is doing this, it must have some intelligence behind it. If we sprain our ankle, we don't try to stop the healing process. We might do things to, to keep the inflammation from getting too out of control, mainly for our own pain tolerance. And I do a lot of talking to myself and I frame it in the context of talking to myself because well, there's a few reasons. One is that there are things I want to talk to and I'm not sure if anybody wants to talk about it with me so I talk to myself. And also I talk to myself because some of the things I say aren't necessarily correct and that's a way to say them anyway without having someone filter what I would say because they think I'm not saying what is correct or factual. And the other thing too is I'm just talking to myself so if I ever share this and people listen they're just listening to me talking to myself. I'm not telling anybody what to do. I'm not recommending anything. I'm not promoting anything. I'm not doing anything except having a conversation with myself. And so, and that's a lot because I have no idea what to do or, and so all I can really do right now is talk to myself. And the thing with mental health is that right now it's framed as this big medical problem. So nobody should be listening to anybody but professionals about what's happening because it's this disease and I'm trying to talk about it like it's something completely different and if people understood it as not a disease not a medical problem at all which is probably quite a few years away from being the truth then we could just talk about this and not have to worry about um, if we're interfering with somebody's medical record or or professional help we we divert all this to the professionals and and it talks a lot about that in the book on our own by Judy Chamberlain which is a really good book I just finished reading it and it's kind of scary how the same stuff that was going on in the mid 70s is still going on today with maybe fancier names and a little bit dressed up with the word recovery and things like that but we're still transformed into chronic mental patients and I don't see myself as a mental patient and right now I am technically in the category of chronic mental patient and my real goal is to get myself out of being in that category of chronic mental patient by not having any participation with any of the services that have to do with medical stuff. So that would be medication, psychiatrists, etc. The psychosocial stuff, the stuff to do with daily living, I would still participate with because people need that if they're in crisis in life or struggling people need those kinds of services and help and hopefully one day I won't need that 
either, or I'll be able to support people in some way to transition out of the system. My real goal is to transition out of the system so it shows that it can be done. So then people who might want the same have some proof in a way that it can be done. And I won't stop until I do it or die trying. So that's kind of where I'm at. And then my goal would be to help people transition out of being a chronic mental patient because we die 25 years less statistically on average from the studies. So why not put a little bit of time and energy in terms of years trying to get out of it and then we might actually by virtue of doing that, live 25 years longer. So it could be worth the pain and effort or the scary facts of trying to decouple from this very powerful story that we've been told. And I would think it's a really good story if people that I know and read about and myself just took the pills and lived happily ever after till we're 85 like everyone else. But that's not how it goes. We're still suffering. We're still struggling. It's still hell. It's not science. It's it's experimentation and it's still happening on us. And so I hope I can get off these drugs. I don't know if I can. It's It's not the easiest thing. And yeah, that's my little thing right now. This is to myself, and I'm in no way, shape, or form trying to tell anybody what to do with their own life. If people want to take pills, take pills. I've taken pills, and they can be helpful sometimes, but that's why I don't want to participate with that. If that system could guarantee that it wouldn't steal 25 years from my life, then maybe I would be a little bit more excited about participating with it. But I'm not. And then the next thing would be to prevent the next generation from being turned into chronic mental patients. And a lot of that has to do with the context with which each one of us perceives these types of experience and if we're able to receive people with love and care and patience and time and safety while they transition through this instead of passing them over to the authorities who will then drug them for life. Now if anybody doesn't want this to happen to their children or their nieces or nephews or friends' kids then it's time to start thinking about this differently. And again, I'm not telling anybody what to think. I'm just talking to myself at length and I'll probably just continue to talk to myself because as far as I know, I'm the only one that wants to hear all of this. And one of the benefits of getting a label could be that it actually makes us easier to find each other. So however many people are labeled with bipolar one, you are officially part of my neurotribe. 
our brains work in similar ways. So take away all the disease, the illness, all of that. Our brains are undergoing the same energetic process. So we are officially a neurotribe. So pick a different term and we're similar brain casts. Just like there's different races, different bodies, different skin colors, there's different brain types. Look at the autism brain type. Now there's some people go through this brain transition later in life and it's not just to change our brains but it's also to help change the world even if it's only ever so slightly and people aren't seeing the positive sides of our of our brains and our potentials and maybe we're not seeing it either and part of the reason is because we're not having a conversation in different ways. So yeah, when I get home, I'm going to start up some kind of group and and a lot of different stuff because I have lots of ideas and I've talked about them. But I can't do them all by myself. So we each other and just creating a neuro tribe and framing it in the ways that resonates more with our hearts than with what we're told. And a lot of these experiences we have that are kind of strange, they can be lived, but they're difficult to explain. When we explain them, they sound impossible, but we experience them. So in that way they are possible and what I'm trying to get at is a lot of what I've talked about with myself is talking about the experiences or things related to that or explaining some of the experiences a little bit but that's not the same as living the experiences so maybe one day when we're fully a neurotribe we're not even talking about explaining experiences to each other. Like, I had this experience, I had that experience, this means this, this means that, about the experiences, but actually living that experience together. It feels like we go into different dimensions sometimes. Now, imagine if we actually do go into a different dimension together, and we're just living there together, and we're not explaining these incongruent experiences or one person had one experience, another person had another experience, another person had another experience. All those experiences separately point to some strange stuff going on. But imagine we actually lived in those experiences together, and then it wasn't strange, and then that's just how it is, and it became sort of invisible, because reality works in different ways than we think, for sure. And... The more of us that get together on that, the more that will be brought into manifestation, not just individually, but collectively. Just like reason must have been this thing that was emerging in individuals and then people got together and two people are talking in that way and then all of a sudden it spreads more and more and more and then that level of experience living that experience is just the way it's lived. People no longer explain reason. It's just 
assumed that people are operating in some kind of reasonable way. Even, I say reasonable, and a lot of it's probably still not that reasonable, but we assume that that's the way it is without even assuming that's the way it is. It's just like air. It's just there. So in the same way, some of these strange experiences might one day just be like air. They won't be strange. And I feel one of the reasons that hasn't happened is because we're labeled as defective and and pretty much forced into isolation. We're not talking about these things. And somebody in the documentary said, this is what's happening to me. And the only reason I mentioned that is my brain immediately thought, this process is what's happening to the me. Not me or you or her or him or they or them. It's happening to the me. We each have a me and this energy is trying to break up the me in general. It's trying to break up that way of relating and having this personal ego dominate because the world can no longer sustain that way of viewing the world. It can no longer sustain that perspective. So it comes in and it breaks up this perspective. And so it's not personal. It's not, this is what's happening to me. This is what's happening to the me all over the world. And the me makes certain things happen. The me has created this society as it's designed with the family system and 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 success and progress and hierarchies and blah 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 and this energy makes something else happen this energy that breaks up the me if that was able to be fully integrated and transform the brain would create a different world because it's a different operating system so in that way it's important to end the me anything we can do to end the me in between so-called crises will help that process because that process is trying to break up the me. So whatever that looks like. And also somebody mentioned something about having an observing presence. Well, these certain belief structures can come and try and operate and in a way, that's sort of what happens is we're observing these belief structures passing by and they're scary. And then sometimes they actually take hold of us and then we act based on that belief structure. So I could have a thought that aliens are coming to invade and I can have an observing presence of that. And it's terrifying. But if it actually takes hold of me, well then maybe I run down into the basement and hide under the bed and 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 start yelling out prayers or something like that. So I feel it's important to observe the beliefs, which is part of the me structure, because they try and come in and operate and and just watch them go by. And this happened to me when I was in a crisis in January. As I was walking to go lay down and rest, I had taken some Seroquel. There was some crazy things going on in my brain. I can't even remember. Something about aliens, terrifying stuff. But I was just walking and then I just laid down and I just would rest 
and let it all happen and and not actually let it take hold and part of the thing is if there's not much of a me there the belief doesn't have much to cling on to and and anchor onto to start to operate so they can there can be fear but not a me that's afraid in a way so so can we operate with no beliefs and can we operate with no me and Krishnamurti talks at great length about ending self-centered activity. And if we don't do it, if we don't use some of our life energy to do that, this energy comes in and does it anyway. And I think I've talked about how the fear a lot of times is the me trying to end. And when the me tries to end, the me associates that with, I must be dying. But really, it's just the thought structures trying to come to an end. And it's definitely challenging, and I feel that I may again have to face death actually go through this ego death and it's really scary and I usually take Seroquel but I don't want to take that crap again so we will see I picked some oranges I don't know if they're totally right but I feel like something has shifted like it's now the days where I usually start going downhill a bit, but I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like I'm not sure. And my friend and I were driving back from the beach. I went to the beach today. And there was a Chevy Volt in front of us. And I thought to myself, I wonder if I would ever drive one of those or buy one of those or what are the benefits of those cars? And then I talked to my friend, my brain twin, and he was saying that he could lend me a car for a while. And lo and behold, it's a Chevy Volt. So that was kind of weird randomness because I talked to him earlier today and then he said, can I call you back in 10 minutes? And Then he didn't call me back. Then I went to the beach. Then I came back from the beach. And then I saw that Chevy Bolt. And then he told me about the Chevy Bolt. So it's an interesting sequence of events. And I'm feeling like I want to use my remaining time in California to get into shape because I've gained a few pounds since I got here and my belly is kind of big. So I'm going to try to do the walking on the rope thing 
have a new goal to try to master this thing. So far, it's not so good. It's kind of hard. can do about one and a half steps. It's kind of fun though to work on a new skill. If I go back home and I can walk across this, I may have accomplished something for now done my practice for the day. So by tomorrow, I might have a vehicle to use. I might be able to make the most of my time here. Maybe I'll treat the remaining two months or so more like a vacation and treat myself more. And I am feeling better and I haven't started to have those sort of downhill days. I'm gonna call Hardy Nutritionals on Monday, which is in two days, and check in with them, and they'll probably tell me to just keep going at the same dose. And I might do a few days on oranges only because California has lots of oranges. I slept in today until like 10. One thing I'm doing is always sleeping a lot if I have the chance. So sleep, hearty nutritionals. Maybe I'll start to eat just a little healthier and get a little bit more physically active with that balance string and I kind of want to learn to do a handstand but I think I need to lose a couple pounds before learning because that body weight will be more ideal for trying to stand on my hands. And lately, I've been feeling kind of excited about the prospect of going home and being off my meds and being just in a lot better shape and better place than I was when I got here because it was a bit dicey before I came here and then it got dicier and it seems I'm slowly 
working my way out of that. And I'm grateful for the fresh air. I'm grateful for the silence. I'm grateful for the sound of all the birds. And I'm noticing the beauty and the movement of life again. So I think my body's happy with the drugs coming out of my system. I want to go home. I would love to get an infrared sauna at some point to help pull all the drugs out of my system. So just a bit more of a check-in, I'm definitely feeling more energy and I think that it could be a sign of getting over some kind of hump in the process. Maybe because I've had more days in a row that have been good than usual. So that's a good sign and I'm feeling energetic. Like I want to do things and learn and so that's good.
a little bit of David Bohm's book, Wholeness and the Implicate Order. And there was just some part of it that I want to read to myself. On page 53, he's giving an example of a radio and how if it feeds back upon itself, it just creates a bunch of noise. But if it tunes in with the radio wave, which is something outside of itself, then it produces the sound that is beyond its own structure. It's beyond just the radio and the antenna, but it's a product of tuning into the wave. And then he says, one might then suggest that in intelligent perception, the brain and nervous system respond directly to an order in the universal and unknown flux that cannot be reduced to anything that could be defined in terms of knowable structures. And to me, that's the realm of map. We're tuning in to something else. And he says, intelligence and material process have thus a single origin, which is ultimately the unknown totality of universal flux. In a certain sense, this implies that what have been commonly called mind and matter are abstractions from the universal flux, that both are to be regarded as different and relatively autonomous orders within the one whole movement. It is thought responding to intelligent perception, which is capable of bringing about an overall harmony or fitting between mind and matter. Because just before that he said, what then is the relationship of intelligence to thought? Briefly, one can say that when thought functions on its own, it is mechanical and not intelligent because it imposes its own generally irrelevant and unsuitable order drawn from memory. Thought is, however, capable of responding not only from memory, but also from the unconditioned perception of intelligence that can see in each case whether or not a particular line of thought is relevant and fitting. And if I think about that really deeply, that's a lot to do with what I'm talking about with this map domain. And on page 56, he says, what is required here then is not an explanation that would give us some knowledge of the relationship of thought and thing, or of thought and reality as a whole. Rather, what is needed is an act of understanding in which we see the totality as an actual process that, when carried out properly, tends to bring about a harmonious and orderly overall action, incorporating both thought and what is thought about and in a single movement, in which analysis into separate parts, e.g. thought and thing, has no meaning. And I was thinking about how I was talking to myself recently about how would we live if we weren't just sitting there explaining things to each other? But if we acted as if we understood, and to me that's what happens when we're in so-called mania, when we're in map consciousness, at least for part of the time, we're acting with understanding. We're not explaining our actions and we're not explaining our perceptions, but we're acting with understanding. It's only later 
when we're misunderstood that we have to do all this explaining. I feel there's something way beyond even this trying to explain things to each other, trying to explain things to people who don't understand. There's the living of it because explaining things is already too late. It's already happened, it's already passed. But if we can even drop the need to explain and just live in that and act with understanding within ourselves, and that is related to how I talk about when you're really clear with perception, you can understand something. You don't even have to do all this research or this or that. You just look at it and you understand. So when he says, rather what is needed is an act of understanding. And I feel like in that state, we see the totality as an actual process and that we're an integral part of that process. No explanation needed. And when we're really in harmony with that, we're riding that wave, that wave of perception and understanding without having to retrospect, without having to think about and explain. So I thought those were two cool bits that I wanted to read to myself. And I have a few points that I'll talk about to round out the video. I made a note that thought is partly what destroys the brain and causes it to break down because of its repetitious and mechanical nature. And I was thinking about this in terms of what Patricia Louise wrote about how the neurons are overfiring in the prefrontal cortex and the neurons break down. They pretty much fray at the ends. And so in that way, we're, we're thinking a lot in that state and there's a lot of different thoughts. It's like thought on overdrive and it's destroying the nerves. And in that way, thought actually breaks down thought. So what can destroy thought but thought? So by the brain activating this hyperthinking process, it's kind of breaking down the structures of thought in the brain. So I feel like the more thoughts in bipolar are actually to break down the machinery of thought, which seems to be what's happening in the neurons at the neuron level. It's sort of like if you want to break a machine, you overrun the machine, you wear it out. Otherwise, how would that really get broken up? Because if we're always in so-called normal thought consciousness, that's not going to break up and we feel like, oh, well, everything's fine. But overall, things aren't fine at the level of humanity with regards to thought. And it's related to that thing I read by David Bohm, how thought operating on its own just from memory is machine-like and it's not really correlated to reality. So it's not harmonious and So then tons of thoughts would definitely not be harmonious and it just breaks down the machine. So it could actually be part of the intelligence of the process. It's like the brain trying to destroy that part of the brain because the brain sees that it is not needed to that same extent that it was before. And it's part of the whole thing that there's always chaos before there is any kind of new structure or 
evolution. And regarding the brain sending myelin to the prefrontal cortex and how I was talking about it's kind of like the equivalent of inflammation. And this inflammation is caused by thought. So overthinking and, and too many thoughts. And it's not that a me is thinking these thoughts. It's just happening. And so that overthinking in so-called mania and psychosis actually causes this brain breakdown and causes the inflammation in the brain. It's like the wrong energy going through the brain. So it's like thought and the me and society is actually what causes the brain to break down because it's the energy of all that. So thought, me, and society. Thought, the me, and society causes brain inflammation and it causes it to break down. And I feel like the brain is a little... Kind of like how cholesterol shows up in arteries when there's plaque formation and it's not necessarily high cholesterol that causes hardening of the arteries, but cholesterol shows up in a way to kind of protect the arteries, just like the myelin shows up to protect the brain. But unless the underlying cause is addressed, and I feel like in the brain it's the wrong energy, it's the energy of thought and the me, unless that is addressed, then the problem is going to continue. And it's interesting that she said that these WMHs also are in the hippocampus. And I think that was to do with the myelin going there too. And apparently the hippocampus is where new neurons are birthed. So it's interesting that that happens in the process and it could be that new neurons are being birthed at a faster rate. So I see this again as a sign that it could be brain metamorphosis. And she also talked about how the pineal gland absorbs light and helps to regulate sleep and wake with melatonin or serotonin secretion. And I'm pretty sure those substances are converted into DMT, which is dimethyltryptamine, which is the bliss hormone or something. But I was thinking that the pineal gland might have something to do with the stuff I talked about before of how when the light of perception hits our clear mind screen, then we produce the correct response. And interestingly enough, she talked about how the pineal gland hardens because of fluoride and a lot of water sources are fluoridated. And to me, it's a, a way to keep our perception narrow. It's to calcify our pineal gland so we can't really see, so our vision isn't clear. So it's interesting how, it's interesting how she mentioned it. And I feel like if it's not clear, we can't turn light into meaning. So I feel like fluoride is anti-meaning. And I heard once that I think it's is based on fluoride. So it's definitely a dulling substance. 
and I was thinking about some of the traits we gain through map consciousness and they're actually brain traits. So one of them is making meaning, dialogue, perception in the moment and action. And unless we continue to use these faculties, we lose them. That saying, use it or lose it, I think it applies to these new traits as well. And that's why I talk about harvest practice and body. And, and I feel like if we lose it, and our brain goes back to sort of how it was, yet there's some kind of energy that wants to come in and break it up so our brain operates in new ways. By going back to the old ways, that's actually inviting the process to start up again. Whereas if we're able to stay with some of these traits, then maybe it will allow the energy to come in gently instead of really forcefully. And I listened to a video by Andrew Saul, and he has some really good information on health and mental health as well in terms of vitamins and megadoses. And he mentioned taking tryptophan from cashews or just taking it, as well as taking lots of vitamin C and also niacin. And I'm taking hearty nutritionals right now, so I won't introduce those other things, but I'm pretty sure with hearty nutritionals, you can take extra vitamins, but it's not good to take extra minerals because it's in a certain balance. Don't quote me on that, but I'm just saying that to remind myself at some point to maybe start taking some more vitamin C. And I am eating a lot of oranges, so that could be good for vitamin C. And one important point he made was that some people are nutrient deficient, but other people are nutrient dependent. So a dependency would mean having to take it all the time. So maybe there is a mutation in one of our genetic pathways where we can't make certain nutrients. So we have to take it in excess and maybe larger amounts than other people would. And so I feel like if this hearty nutritional thing works, I'll be on it indefinitely. And they said as much, they said it's not a cure and in that way, it makes me feel like a person is pretty much dependent on these nutrients to stay sane. And I think that's a fair deal. I, I wrote down something about words of reason and how it was related to seeing things for oneself as opposed to maybe having faith-based perceptions. And in a way... It was a logic of the self, seeing for oneself and then accumulating facts and knowledge around being able to understand or, or reason something or learn. And by accumulating, we actually created this separate self and we collected facts. And that was logical for the time being. But now, now we're seeing something else. We're not seeing for oneself as in the ego me we're seeing for Gaia we're seeing beyond ourselves because there's a selective pressure for us to do so in terms of the totality of of the planet so perception selects for traits perception creates genes and that is based on Dr. Bruce Lipton's work so 
I feel like by perceiving beyond ourselves, we're starting to create the right genetics in the brain to be able to continue to do so in order to be able to continue the species of human being. So the self was okay before, but now we have nine billion selves and it's just not sustainable to see that way. Doesn't mean it's not sustainable to keep growing at this rate. That might not necessarily be true. We might be able to continue to grow as a population at the same rate, but we can't continue to see the same way and grow at that rate. So the environment, the energy of the environment, what's happening in the totality, the totality of the cosmos is like a computer. It can compute exactly what's going on everywhere at once or in just one point. Each point is like a computation that implies every other point. So it knows what we're doing. It knows what's happening. And then that energy creates the environment. And the environment creates the pressure on us to see what's really happening and not just see what's happening for, for ourself. And so Gaia is creating a selective pressure for the brain to mutate. And I listened to a talk by somebody who was talking about evolutionary biology and they were talking about how nature and evolution and 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 animals and things they mutate at the last second nothing happens in advance we don't change in advance of the necessity of the change so I think this relates to what I've talked about with how something will shift really quickly and then the brains that are adapted for this new way of seeing will actually be the ones that survive. So the point was that, that evolution never does anything in advance. And I wrote down that there's something that sees and creates the mutation. And I think I've talked about this before, how however much we're consciously perceiving, there's still the subconscious calculation that's going on all the time. So even if we're ignoring things, we're still picking up on it to a certain extent. And there's something that sees, and that's a subconscious thing, and that's also collective. So we're all walking around picking up all this different information in our perceptual field, and the bit that we pay attention to is related to the me. But something else is seeing the rest. This something else that we all share. And it's calculating and in that way it will know exactly what to do and how to change things when it's necessary and so it's life as a whole that sees the need so when a bird gets a longer beak to adapt to the conditions of what bug it needs to eat in the bark of a tree it's not that the actual bird the personal bird sees that it needs to mutate, it's actually the whole energy of that species and, and, and Gaia that sees that it needs to change the bird in order for the bird to survive and probably does so at the last second to save that particular species. And it's not that ones don't die out, they do for sure, but so there's something that sees the bird is dying off because its beak is not long enough through the bird's eyes, of course, and 
and it filters into the collective calculation of everything. So it's life itself. Life itself is part of the design and the designer and the designed. There's no separation. So it's not even that the me sees that the brain needs to mutate. It's something else that sees that. So yeah, that's it for today. I will check in tomorrow to see if I'm still feeling good. And of course, I need to be aware of feeling too good. So I will talk to Hardy Nutritionals about that on Monday and ask about being careful of that too. So I don't know if it's illegal to make videos while one's driving. I haven't googled that yet. But I think we're allowed to talk while driving. And I'm just talking to myself, so... It doesn't seem problematic. The only trouble is I can't use the GPS and I have no idea where I'm going. So this morning I finally got a reply about the complaint letter I put in about my psych wards day of April 2016. And as expected, it wasn't quite satisfactory. They talked about how it was okay for me to be on Seroquel because I was on Seroquel before in previous hospitalizations. Well, in previous hospitalizations, I was on quick-release Seroquel maximum maybe 100 milligrams a day because they have the 25 milligram tablets and this time the doctor put me on slow release and was tapering me up to 800 milligrams a day so my complaint wasn't Seroquel it was the type of Seroquel and putting me on such a high dose that I was intended to be on it for a long period of time. They don't put you on 800 milligrams just to be on it for a week. So the other doctor put me on those small tablets and I was off of them by the time I left the psych ward eight to ten days later. I wasn't going to be off of the Seroquel at 800 milligrams when I left. I was going to be drugged up like a zombie. So they completely missed the point on that one. And there were other points in there too, and maybe I'll talk about them later, but for the most part, reading it just made me feel a little bit angry because they didn't really get it, but at the same time, I'm not surprised because they haven't been through that, so they don't know and it's their medical training so they think oh this is just fine but I know from my own experience it's not fine and it just made me actually more resolved to come off these medications and say sayonara to that whole system and so I'll probably reply to somebody and say that's not really satisfactory but I didn't really expect anything satisfactory so 
whatever. The best I can do is get myself off these drugs and and that would be the biggest win and then be able to say hey I'm not taking this crap anymore and maybe help people see that they can do the same if they want to so that's the biggest important thing right now is coming off the meds and I met up with my brain twin yesterday and he was saying to me that I should release my videos because I have a lot of good content and I could be helping people by releasing them, but I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's going to help anyone, but I feel like it will help someone if I'm able to come off the meds and I don't necessarily want to put it out there until I'm off the meds and speaking from that point or have failed to come off the meds and something or other, but... I just need a little more time. But the good news is that I spoke to Hardy Nutritionals this morning and I told them that last night I had a bit of trouble sleeping in that I woke up partway through the night and I was half asleep, half awake, but I couldn't quite wake up to maybe get up and go pee but then I was just laying there for what felt like hours and then somebody commented this morning that I looked tired so that was last night and the night before when I was falling asleep I felt again like I was too far into sleep yet not really sleeping and I was aware that there was some scary afraid of death stuff going on some of the stuff that might wake me up and I would feel scared and and have that sort of energetic, terrified reaction. And, and so I told them about that and they said that I had a few good days, more so than before, and I haven't really gone into the bad days, but I've had two nights that aren't the best sleeps. So they suggested that I go down another eighth of my medication and maybe now is a good time to start trying to go down in the dosage amount faster. So I also ordered a product they have called Central Aminos or something like that. And she said that might help with sleep. So that should be here by Wednesday and I'm gonna start taking that and seeing how that helps with sleep and then also going down in the one-eighth dosage so tonight when I take my dosage of medication I'll officially be one half way there so one half of the way off the medications which is great news and I feel more like I want to really do this because of that letter and how annoying it is just to have everything that I said pretty much denied because it is best practice and that is a pretty crappy practice I'm sorry to say and so if I can come off these drugs that would be the best way instead of trying to fight that system just transcend it just end the trance of that system and 
So that's the plan now is to go down an eighth of the medication and then on Wednesday when I get the amino acid product, I'll start taking that. And they said when I call on Friday, I might do another one-eighth reduction. So I might be starting to come off the medications a little bit quicker. And the other cool thing is that tonight will be the first night I don't take any Seroquel. I've been taking one-eighth of a chunk of a pill for a little while and now tonight I'm not going to take any Seroquel. I'm going to take half a Trazodone and 300 milligrams of lithium and it hasn't been too bad and hopefully it continues that way and hopefully that other product helps. I'm really going with this hearty nutritionals process right now. Whatever they recommend that I should get I'm going to do it because I'm just committed to this process. And talking with them really helps. They say things about how other people experience these sleep things when coming off the medication, and that's a little bit part of the process. And it wasn't even that bad. It's just something that I noticed. And then by telling them that, they're saying, okay, well, we're going to reduce your medications by another eighth. So that's cool. And the letter was crap. Um, I could have written it myself because it's just, I don't know. So I'll do a little bit of a car review in here. This Chevy Volt is actually quite nice to drive. I've driven somebody's Honda Accord here and it was not the greatest but it was a bit older and then I drove a Dodge Dart I think when I had a rental car and it was okay but it wasn't the greatest I didn't love it but this Chevy Volt is quite nice it has good acceleration and good handling the seats a little hard but I feel quite supported and I haven't tried out charging the battery yet because I ran out of battery it runs 33 miles on electricity before it converts over to gas. So I'm going to try to charge this thing every night and then have 33 miles a day of driving maybe and just drive for free. So I've just done a little bit of a loop here because I've, I'm supposed to be meeting my friend again because when he got this car they were supposed to put new tires on for him, but they didn't. And so he has to take this thing to get new tires. Or I could drive it to get new tires, but he said he would. So I didn't have to drive so far. He's in a little bit of the magic zone right now. And I feel like by the way I was talking with him yesterday, I was probably a buzzkill for sure. Um, so hopefully I can be a bit more supportive and perhaps walk a little bit in his world too because maybe he'll bring out some of the magic in me and yeah the trouble with my magic state is it a lot of times tips over into so-called psychosis which can be really scary and my life is at risk when that happens 
if I never had my life at risk, if I just stayed in mania or whatever, then then who knows? But and I asked Hardy Nutritionals if the nutrients help to prevent mania, and they said yes, because I don't want to go too high either. Because if I get too high, then I could perhaps have a depression or something, and and depression is awful. It's 12.30. I better give my magic friend a call and see what is going on. So now that I have a car, I can go more to the hot springs. I can do a couple more hikes. I did this hike before, the one where I ran through the clouds. I kind of like that one because it's a fire road and it's quite wide, so I don't feel like a snake is going to jump out at me or or bears are going to be running around. That's one of the reasons why I don't really like to hike by myself is wildlife, fear of wildlife. So yeah, lots of action happening and and I started reading the book Stealing Fire by Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel and it's interesting so far. I've been picking out points to extrapolate, of course, and one thing I don't love is how they glorify things like war and Navy SEALs and things. It seems like they glorify that, but they talk about other things too, but they started off with that. Maybe to start off with a bang, but I'd wish they would leave that part out. When they mention how it costs $500,000 to train a Navy SEAL, it's kind of scary that that much money is put into training one person to be an elite killing machine. And that doesn't even count them all the equipment and the, all the other war machines. But anyways, I won't go on about that. Peace, love, and butterflies. This is kind of a fun road to drive. It's very squiggly. This car is also very quiet. Right now I'm using the gasoline mode and I'm pretty sure I could talk to myself without using this little speaker headphone and it would be just fine. I might stop off at a viewpoint here call my brain twin.
so I didn't manage to run into my brain twin, but I spent some time with my brain twin's friend and I got some honey. Mmm, sage honey, it's really good. And it's in the shape of a bear. So that is definitely a score, definitely worth the drive. And I took a bit of a video yesterday about my journey to walk the slack line. And I didn't do any today because it's a bit rainy, so it would be muddy and dirty to fall off that slack line. So I will do it when I can, but I will share my progress on that too. Day two. I'll try some more later. And the other thing I want to do is do the ceremony of reducing my medication, so changing the amounts I take each day. So I'll show you my setup. So this is very scientific. I have used an empty capsule of a different supplement to half my 150 milligrams of lithium. So there's 75 approximately in here and 75 in here. So those are all 75s. So this is a 300 and this is a 75. And now I'm down to 300. So I don't need to take the 75. So I can save that for when I have to go down 75 milligrams. I'll be on a 150 and one of these, I think. That will be the next level down. So I don't need those. 
but they're actually valuable because I need to always decrease in 75 milligram dose doses and so those are for next round and then I don't need the little chunk of Seroquel anymore so that goes with the little Seroquel chunks and then this is the little piece of this looks like Seroquel this is my little chunk of Trazodone so Trazodone chunks go there that looks like some kind of mixture so I will just donate that to the floor so now I'm off the Seroquel and I'm off the little chunk extra of Trazodone so now each day I'm just on this what is that and so I can pack up the Seroquel and that looks like it's missing a bit so I'll replace that with one that's actually a half and so now this is what it looks like for tonight and I take the Benadryl as well so that's my setup and then I'll take one Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night and then by Friday I might actually have to reduce and do a 150 plus a 75 and not use the 300s. And I don't have a ton of 150s left, so I might start halving the 300s for the 150 and use the 150 halves as 75s. So that's my little setup and get this little dust out of here. Don't want to take that extra stuff. And so we will see how that goes today tonight. I just want to add in and point out that I left for California three months ago today. So tomorrow it'll be three months since I got here. And tonight will be the first night I don't have to take any Seroquel since I had to start taking it about two months ago or something like that. And so that's a big deal. And in five days, it will be 11 months of self-dialogue. May 20th is the first anniversary of 11 months, and June 20th will be the first anniversary of one year. But I said that September 11th was the time that I started doing this more consistently, because I only did videos on four occasions, from June 20th to September 11th or something like that but then after that I really got into the process so it's possible by the one year mark June 20th at this rate I'll actually be off of my medications so my goal if I had a goal was to talk myself out of the system and if I'm able to do that by that date I will have officially talked myself out of the system in a year and then on September 11th around that time that would be enough time to see if it has fully taken root in being able to stay off the medications for several months 
So I'm not sure when I will share this, but, and I think there was another milestone I wanted to share, but I forget. So I'm starting to read a book called The Man Who Wasn't There. And I've been reading the first chapter on Cotard syndrome, which is basically a person expressing that they're dead even though they're not. And they're talking about a man who is saying that he's brain dead. And they did some scans of his brain and there are certain areas of his brain related to the self that were really underactive. And they weren't saying that this means this is the cause, but they did show it in that person. And there's not a lot of people who get this kind of phenomenon happening but I was reading it and thinking this person is convinced and saying I'm brain dead I'm brain dead in a way they're kind of right certain areas of their brain aren't functioning optimally and the parts related to the feeling of self because this book is about the feeling of self so what I'm thinking is that this person is actually giving voice to that brain state. So they're focusing on how a person is saying that they're dead when they're not. And what does this mean about the self? But to me, in a way, it's almost like the brain talking. And I've talked about before how we don't know how to make sense of some of these sensations we feel whether it's hypersensitivity to our environment and other people. And it's possible that our own brain can speak through us at times when it needs some kind of help. And to me, it's a person speaking as that brain state, just as somebody who is in so-called psychosis might be saying strange things, but they might be speaking about things related to being sensitive to the environment, but they don't know how to put it into words. So they're saying something, but a lot of it is lost in translation. And again, we don't understand that language. So we're focused on what's wrong with the person. When the person that's saying I'm brain dead, it might be the brain's way of giving voice to something that needs some kind of support. And a person saying something strange in so-called psychosis might be actually pointing out something in society that is bothering them or needs to change. But then we put it all on the person and say, well, what's wrong with you? I just thought of something about the self. I feel like the self is the way the brain fires because of conditioning. It's the way we've been conditioned to perceive the world. So it's been conditioned to fire and for us to see the world the dominant way, but it's not the only way to see the world. And the brain definitely needs to see the world in new ways. The human brain needs to see the world in new ways if it is to continue in this world. Hmm. So in my complaint letter, I thoroughly outlined that I did not want to be on Seroquel XR and they put me on it anyway and they tapered me up to 500 milligrams a day, and they're intending to go up to 800 milligrams a day. 
one before, if I was in the psych ward, they gave me Seroquel quick release, which are just 25 milligram pills. And I don't think they ever gave me more than two or three at a time, usually maximum two. So if it's two, three times a day or something like that, that's maximum 150 milligrams. And I was off the Seroquel by the time I left the psych ward or two days after, which is maximum 10 days. And I was in the hospital and on Seroquel for 33 days, plus another month to finish tapering off of it in the community because I was tapered up to 500 milligrams of this Seroquel before I was able to switch doctors and then she tapered me off because she listened to me, whereas the first doctor refused to listen to me in not putting me on that stuff in the first place. And then I said, consult with this other doctor, they know what to do to help me. They wouldn't do that. So regarding the Seroquel thing, they put one, prescribe Seroquel when you did not want to receive this medication. The doctor prescribed this medication as you had previously been on Seroquel without documented ill effect. Other antipsychotics had caused side effects and therefore not prescribed. And that's not even, that wasn't even the point regarding not being transferred to the doctor that I know right away. They say the admitting psychiatrist keeps you unless there's a compelling reason to do otherwise. Well, in my mind, I gave some compelling reasons. The other doctor knew how to help me. She'd helped me twice before. And for some reason, this wasn't good enough. And they did sort of address it. They said, your concern regarding not being listened to regarding your treatment and what had worked in the past. We sincerely apologize that this was your experience during your care with Dr. X. We value the voice of the patient and want to incorporate this whenever possible. And I asked if advanced directives would be valued. And it says, where possible advanced directives and representational agreements will be followed in cases where an individual is admitted involuntarily under the Mental Health Act and the psychiatric presentation warrants it, the psychiatric components in an advanced directive or representational agreement may not be followed as expressed. So that is the news about getting that document written up, is it won't necessarily be listened to. So note to self, never go to the psych ward. And it says, do people have a choice of the psychiatrist they see when they go to the IPU? And it says they see the admitting psychiatrist. And it says, this is our current practice, which can be reviewed in the future. Well, I think some of these practices need to be under review or just have a completely different practice. So yeah, they kind of addressed it when they said didn't listen to regarding what helped in the past and but not completely because the point was missed that I was drugged up with the intention of being drugged up for the long term with a doctor that didn't even know me but was just going to put me on this completely different trajectory that she decided after knowing me for 10 minutes and alter my life and I knew otherwise and they didn't listen so 
I would not put myself in that place ever again to be, I don't know. I really hope this coming off medication thing works because, and not just coming off and kind of staying stable and quiet, but having some energy and some, some mental strength to change some of these things because it's total crap. And it talks about how I had to call conflict of interest to have the doctor switched and I was admitted on April 5th and I was switched on April 7th. But the damage was already done. Within two days, I was already on 500 milligrams of Seroquel slow release. And then I didn't even ask to be tapered off of it right away. I might have waited a day or so. So within three days, there was so much work to do to come off of that crap and so much scary stuff in the meantime. It was so scary and terrifying. So I don't know. Maybe it's not just that. Maybe it's just something that had to happen, but I guess part of it is not having to go through that kind of thing again. So between driving around with this car stuff and this letter, things have been a little bit stressful, so I need to also relax. So maybe I'll do a little bit of editing and see where I'm at. I have three books on the go right now, so I have some other stuff to cover. Actually, I have four books on the go. I'm reading Wholeness in the Implicate Order, The Man Who Wasn't There, Journey to Ixland by Carlos Castaneda, and Stealing Fire by Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel. And I'm just waiting for my brain twin to get here, so... Maybe I'll just talk about just a little more things. In the book Stealing Fire, there was a line that says, the upper range of human experience. And that made me extrapolate that some of these altered states that often end up being deemed mental illness are also the upper range of human experience. And they were talking about SEAL training, Navy SEAL training and how it is a filtration system in terms of finding the right people to be trained for that position. And that made me think of how MAP, how trans consciousness, how altered states in a way is a filtration system. It's almost filtering who can stand in those states it's putting our consciousness into a different state and seeing who will filter through. So in a way, it could be that evolution is partly a filter, not really a selection. There's nothing there doing the selecting. There's no ultimate thing selecting this or that as evolution goes on, but in a way it's a filter. It's filtering the organisms through the environment and as the environment changes, the filter changes for who goes through in terms of different organisms. And the human brain, in a way, needs to change in order to filter through not just 
this environment, but in order to create a new environment that will be sustainable for human brains. So I feel like in a way, map consciousness is training by Gaia and the universe to adapt to these new brain states that are necessary. It's almost like there's so many different experiences and altered states happening, just like there's a lot of different mutations happening and a lot of different things, but not all of them go somewhere. But something will go somewhere eventually. So in a way, it's not a test either. It's a filter. It's like waves crashing ashore. It's like a tide. Our brains go into these altered states and these non-ordinary states and then we, we come back like a wave, like the tide coming in. So our brains go into those states and go into those states, but we eventually do come ashore. And they talked about how in Google, they were looking for a CEO and they gave him a Navy SEAL-like test to find the right CEO for Google quite a few years ago now. And I think the universe is testing our brains in a way too and selecting for wisdom. And I remember Dr. Alberto Vitilado said, nature selects for wisdom. So I think it puts us in these wisdom states, these states beyond just logic and reason, to start to try to select for that wisdom. And by getting with those states and seeing and creating with that, we can create what that wisdom is trying to create. It's definitely not trying to create mental patience, but that's what human beings who don't have that wisdom or any understanding turn us into. And so in a way, the masses are the environment. So we as brains that go into these non-ordinary states or these wisdom harvesting, meaning harvesting states have to bring back enough meaning to change how the masses respond to us. And that's in a way because they are the environment that we're received by when we're coming back the wave is on the ebb there's the ebb and the flow and when we're on the ebb we're in danger of being captured by the masses so just as people are testing who can be navy seals the universe is testing who can carry this meaning into some kind of something. I don't know what. And it's also seeing if life can trust us. Life is trying to see if it can trust us. And they talked about STER, which is four qualities of non-ordinary states, which was selflessness, timelessness, effortlessness, and richness. And I've talked about richness in terms of meaning. There's this inner richness. When there is no time, and there is no self as the me, and there's no effort. And so in a way, our state is usually so ordinary. I turned it around and I say, our state is usually so ordinary and mediocre because we have a self, or we feel a self, or we operate from a self. We're always putting in a lot of effort and we think in terms of time, of being better. 
So in a way, the self and time and effort are all the same thing. I feel like Krishnamurti would say those are all the same thing because it's the me that makes effort to be better. So the me is the effort. There's no me aside from the effort. There's no self aside from effort. And time, well, effort implies time because it takes time to change or to get better. No richness. So they talk about selfless, effortless, timeless, and richness. So the richness is the only one that isn't less because it's selfless, timeless, effortless. So if you subtract the self and time and effort, then there's richness. So if there's richness, in a way, there's no self and there's no time and there's no effort. So I think richness equals negative self minus effort minus time. But those three things are all the same in a way. So if you can rid yourself of any of those things, then you may come upon the richness. So our states are so ordinary because we've been conditioned to have a self, make effort, live by time, feel rich. And I feel like the self is a manifestation of society. It's what we need to navigate society. So what would be a manifestation of Gaia? When we think about the sphere of society, it's very narrow compared to the sphere of Gaia. So society being lost in that denies the richness of Gaia. To be continued. So last night my brain twin didn't arrive until 11.30 and then we were talking for about an hour. So I think I went to bed around 12.30. But I definitely remember having that heart pounding thing happen and the fear and the fear of death and it's it's scary and I still fell asleep though and that was without Seroquel and then I had to wake up at 7 so or 7.30 so I didn't get the longest sleep and so falling asleep has been a little bit dicey these last three nights or the first night it was falling asleep, then the second night it was staying asleep, and then the third night it was falling asleep again. So the hearty nutritional stuff is supposed to come tomorrow and it probably won't come until evening. And so they said take two, three times a day, and then at some point I'll just take six before bed. So tonight won't be included in that so we'll see how tonight goes and then tomorrow is a little bit of a day with the essential amino acids and then Thursday I'll be able to do the full amounts and I'm saying this because I'm hoping that it helps because if it doesn't that might be a sign that I should head home and when I go home I kind of want to take the train because I find flying very stressful and it'll be quite a bit more expensive to take it last moment and 
The trouble with the train is that it has parts of it sold out for up to two weeks, so I'd have to leave two weeks after I booked the train. So I guess that's the plan is wait until wait until Thursday or Friday to see how it's going and then perhaps book a train if it's not going better. So we'll see and I'm not sure what strategies are good otherwise perhaps getting some more exercise, going rollerblading. I don't think I'll go today but perhaps I'll go tomorrow and the next days as well. I'm not sure if at this point staying off the self-dialogue is good or not good. I'm not sure if feeling like this is side effects of coming off medication or what. My biggest fear would be going into a state that is hard to handle down here without the support of my family. So we'll see what happens. I think I'm just a little tired today because of the last three nights. Maybe if I don't have an okay-ish night tonight, I'll just book a train and I can always cancel it. And maybe I'll just keep doing that. Booking trains and then canceling them. So that way I at least have a ticket on something. So I might do that, I might just book a train and that way I'm giving myself two weeks to see how this turns around in terms of sleep. I really do want to make it here until the end of July but I feel like at this point I'm playing with fire and today I was just going about my day as usual and I could sense some PTSD stuff in the background so it's kind of lingering there and I'm wondering if that scary stuff comes up if instead of getting up and taking a drug or something I can just get up and make a video because I've never been able to do that <laughs> or maybe if I try to have a dialogue with that scary stuff like, what does that scary heartbeat want? It feels like death. And Krishnamurti talks about psychological death, and it feels like it could be psychological death. And so, why am I afraid of that? Or who is it that is afraid of that? Or who is it that that is happening to? Because... Lately I've heard talk about how there's no self, or the self is an illusion, so what is it that's afraid? And can I face that fear and be with that fear instead of allowing it to take over and direct me to take some kind of drug because I don't want to drug myself up again. And I have my zap strap and that wouldn't necessarily be a pretty scene though. And I'm not around 
people who have the same understanding of, of things as my family. So we'll see. Last night I actually slept better, so I'm doing a quick segment to say that I did some coherence breathing, about half an hour of it, before I went to sleep. And I also tried to visualize people that I care about. And I didn't have any of the scary heart stuff, even though my heart rate did spike, because I did wear my heart rate monitor to bed with the Cardio Mood app. So I saw that it did, but I didn't experience anything. So that's good. Yesterday I also made a smoothie with some hawthorn powder in it because that's really good for the heart. So again, I'm making a smoothie with banana, hawthorn powder, moringa powder, coconut milk, and honey, and a bit of cinnamon. And it's pretty good. So today the Hardy Nutritionals amino acids should arrive and I'll take that and I'll talk to myself later. So I just checked the mail and I did get my Hardy Nutritionals Balanced Freeform Aminos and they said to take it three times a day, two each time, before meals on an empty stomach. And I ate maybe an hour and a half ago, so I think I'm safe to take two right now. And then I'll go eat my meal, which is ice cream. Bottoms up. I started reading Dr. Mercola's book, Fat for Fuel, and I did have ice cream for dinner. So I'm not really on that wavelength yet. I did do a vegetarian ketogenic diet for probably six to eight months, and I thought that it would be something that would help to protect me from psychosis but it didn't turn out that way. I still ended up in the psych ward in April of 2016 and that's when I stopped the ketogenic diet because they don't offer ketogenic diets in the psych ward, so I just ate the psych ward food. But I did do it for quite a long time and I did notice that I wasn't hungry. I was able to stay very slim and I liked it. So I'm reading this book because I do think that I would like to try another high-fat, low-carb, low-protein diet again, probably when I go back home. And I read the first four or five chapters of the book, and there's some interesting information. One thing he mentions is how high iron is actually a problem, and it's fascinating the way he talks about this.
and what he emphasizes, and he was talking about how people who donate blood are actually at lower risk for a lot of diseases because they're getting rid of the excess iron in their body. And I won't go into all that he talks about, but I just found that interesting because when I was doing really well for three and a half years before I had any form of so-called relapse, I was donating blood. I did it probably three or four times. And yes, you can donate blood when you're on many of the different psych meds, interestingly enough. And so I'm thinking when I go back home, I will donate blood again, even though my iron's usually on the low side because I'm a vegetarian, but it still could be good in some way. So I took that as a tip from the book so far, and he hasn't really gotten into the diet stuff yet plan because it's not about ketogenesis as much as it is about repairing mitochondria, getting them to start to repair, rebuild, and get rid of the ones that aren't functioning. And I did have quite a bit of energy when I was eating that way too. So I might try it again sometime, and that's why I bought the book on Kindle. And he mentioned an app in there called Google Keep, and he said that he had to start using it because he was so clear mentally that he was always having lots of ideas. And so this was a way for him to jot it down. And I was thinking about how I've been looking for an app that does that kind of thing. So when my brain is in hyper insight mode, I can keep track of them. So I'm going to try out that app. And tonight I'm going to take one more dose of the amino acids from Hardy Nutritionals. And I will also do probably about half an hour of coherence breathing, which is the coherence training app. And then you need some form of heart rate monitor. I have this one. It's just a chest strap that goes around right here on your bare skin and then has these electrode -y things that you just get a little bit damp and then put it on. And I even sleep with this thing on with the Cardio Mood app just to see if there's spikes in my heart rate when I'm falling asleep. And I talked about before, it almost feels like a bit of a hug. So it feels like I'm paying attention to my heart and in that way maybe it settles down a little bit too. I'm hoping to have two good nights in a row of sleep because sometimes when this little fluttery thing starts then it could lead to a larger spike of scariness. And if that larger spike happens again I'll definitely be heading home. And I have written down some stuff and I'll talk a little bit about it. And I still have two other notebooks that I haven't really delved too much into. And I feel quite settled with going at the pace of whatever. And I wrote down, you can only understand it by living it in terms of this whole altered states thing. The understanding is in living in those states and not really in talking about it so much. 
And I wanted to emphasize to myself again the example of how we need a little bit of vision in order to create the visual structures in the brain in the example of how in experiments they close the eye of a kitten in utero and that side of the brain's visual cortex didn't develop. So in that way, if we close our eyes to these other states and what they're showing us, it's actually not developing those structures in the brain. But each time we go into those states, it's kind of like being in a womb of some other dimension. And if we can go into it with eyes open and really wondering, then those structures get created in our brains. It's part of the brain metamorphosis. The brain isn't going to change without the perception of something else to perceive. Just like there needs to be some vision in the kitten in order for the visual cortex to develop in the brain. Well, whatever this is trying to develop in the brain, call it the map cortex or something like that, it's mapping another dimension and we need to not ignore it because that dimension is there and the more it can get mapped in more brains the more it will be perceptible and and will have the ability to navigate it and it could even happen that once a certain number of people develop that ability to navigate it might just arise in other people kind of like the hundredth monkey syndrome without people having to go through all of this trial and error and 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 trouble that it leads to at this point. So we are pioneering brain change. So in talking about how there is no self, there is no me thinking thoughts. We're more like thought filters. And by picking up on certain thoughts over time, we've created those brain cells to continue filtering those thoughts. And that creates the illusion of a me. And I feel like sometimes brains get into contact with filtering even more thoughts. And then when that happens, it tends to blow out these thought structures. Or when there's more thoughts that are outside the domain of the me, then all of a sudden one is in contact with something more than just the me and one starts to question the me because one realizes one has never thought these things before so where do they come from because they didn't come from past memory but really there is no me so it could even be a matter of how most of our thoughts come from memory and then if this changes in that we're getting thoughts that aren't coming from memory it sort of challenges the whole me kind of what it does. It's like a current flowing from the past to the future and then another current flowing a different way at messing up that current and all of a sudden the current that gives rise to the me is changed and all of a sudden what is there? There it's not really a me. It's almost like we've reached the brink of thought energy that something else has to come in. And even Dr. David Bohm said in his interview with David Suzuki that we need a new form of information. We need a new source of information. 
and I think this process is part of that. The trouble is it challenges the notion of me, which is what we hold most dearly. And when we're in those altered states of map consciousness, we're in a state of perception and action. And I feel like we need to continue to use that in service of Gaia or we lose it. So if we can use perception action in service of Gaia, then we're moving in the right domain. So we get in touch with a different movement of mind, matter, and thought. It's a different current. So normally we have mind and thought coming from the past to meet the present matter. But in this other state, mind and thought are definitely moving in a different direction. They're moving with matter. It's meeting matter in the moment and moving with it instead of meeting it and dividing it up based on past stuff. So now I'm on to a notebook and then I have to go back to my old notebook which I'm probably still talking about stuff related to Dr. Daniel Siegel but I can't remember and when I go back home at some point I might go through some of my older notebooks because I was in a pretty good magic, manic state at some point, and I think I wrote more positive, airy-fairy stuff, which could be interesting, and then still going back to the very beginning and talking about some of the things in there. I'm mostly looking for things that are themes I'm talking about now, six years later, and in a way, it's sort of like... A lot of the stuff I wrote was kind of mumbo-jumbo-y and then some of it is still kind of true today in terms of what I feel and see in these states. And in that way those are the memes that have some trajectory from previous states. So I think this stuff is regarding the self or lack thereof. And I think I'm losing my voice from eating too much ice cream. It kind of bothers my throat, but it's worth it. And I wrote down that, can the appearance go through steps to overcome the appearance? And that's relating to how the self is kind of an appearance. It's not really there, but it appears as a result of the process of thinking, kind of like a mirage isn't really there, there's no water on the horizon, but it appears from that process. So if the self is really only an appearance or an illusion or however one wants to say it, how can that illusion go through steps to overcome the illusion? And if it is an appearance, then who is it appearing to? And whatever it is that it's appearing to, is that a bit more fundamental than the self itself? And I believe I already talked about MAP as proprioception of the self. In MAP consciousness, we can really see the self and what it's doing, but we don't understand or realize that we're the seer. We're still identified with what that stuff is doing as if it's us who's doing it. And it's kind of scary to see that at a certain level, there is no free will. 
and I think I talked about that stuff at some point. I think I'm going to talk about some of the stuff. Wrong meaning destroys the brain. This is the human brain talking, not the me. And thought, in a way, is a form of homeostasis. It's consistency, but it's consistency to the patterns of society that would have us be cogs in an economic machine. And the body has proprioception in that when we walk, the body is aware of itself, so it can walk. But when we think, we don't necessarily have proprioception of thought unless we're in map consciousness. And again, it's really important to drop all those things that we see, and they get dropped by seeing them, but not identifying with them and not playing with them. And thought, in a way, is an appearance in consciousness because we're not living in harmony with this other thing, this other dimension. This other dimension is really just living. It's a living thing. Whereas our thought structures are patterns. So why is the material process of the brain used to create all this? There is a meaningful world. But we have to create that. Instead of creating things based on these past patterns, we have to really see what's actually meaningful and create that. And thought and the self and the me, in a way, is a reflex conditioned by society. Society is a reflex, and MAP dissolves some of that reflex as meaningless. And then sometimes we become sort of non-functional because society is what tells us what functioning is, when maybe human beings are supposed to be used for a different functioning altogether. Are we really meant to be trained to do the same thing for the rest of our life every day, eight hours a day, five days a week? I don't think so. So this energy comes in in map consciousness and breaks that all up. And then we need medication to keep the brain in a lower energy state. And that lower energy state is what perpetuates the reflex. If we had that energy all the time, there's no way we could stay in that reflex. And the dulling, tranquilizing medication makes sure that that continues on. And thought is what arises when the brain is not moving with the now. When the brain cells are static in that they're just full of static noise from the past. And that is what is moving in the brain when it's trying to meet the now, which is very complex, diverse, intricate. And we could be really with that, but we're too busy, lost in our static. Somewhere else than now is incoherent static. The past is incoherent static. It's a pattern. So it's a question of brain pliability. And when we're aware of everything, we don't create a self. So there's thought and the me because we're not moving harmoniously with Gaia. So even people that are functioning well in society now, we're all malfunctioning relative to Gaia. And Gaia is creating some of us as malfunctioning, relating to society, hoping that we'll at least be seeds of something new. 
and and that's why it's our responsibility to really get with our perceptions and and attempt to be on Gaia's side when we don't want to live anymore when we attempt suicide it's because we don't want to live in this society we don't want to live in this world the way it's created but when we opt out then we're responsible for co-creating and being on Gaia's side and moving with that and it's a creative process it's not something that we can lay a pattern out for so more extrapolation maybe I will finish this notebook in map consciousness the brain matter is moving and speaking in a different way than its habitual past patterns and then everyone says this person's acting so different it's just the brain moving and speaking in a different way and I heard about a book called deviate and it's about how the brain has evolved to see things in a biased manner and that made me extrapolate that there's a manic bias that to see things in a manic way is actually adaptive sometimes I feel like it can be a response to trauma so it saves a person in a way because one feels in a super meaningless state so the response to that is to create a hyper meaning state in the brain and give one a taste of something beautiful and and also seeing that beautiful world and trying to create those structures in the brain to make it more easy for one to see that so in a way how does one make it easier for one to see that beautiful world and have those structures in the brain and get rid of the structures that would cause us to dwell in the lower states of consciousness where we might feel depressed or something like that and all those things are related to the me as well so it seems like the upper states are selfless states and the lower states are more energy going towards the self and the me so that book is talking about how perception not being accurate is actually adaptive and that's what happens in so-called mania so there was talk about how there's a lot of self-deception going on in our brains that we don't notice and I wonder if in psychosis in a way we are seeing all these ways of self-deception and it's scary so we're actually seeing it though whereas in normal consciousness we have these self-deception mechanisms that we don't see so I feel like those altered states in map consciousness allow us to see a lot of what the self is doing so then when we're not in those states perhaps we will see when those structures are operating and and drop them as opposed to as opposed to continuing to allow them to entertain us I could say we entertain them but they entertain us and can we be done with that entertainment because from the map consciousness perspective we know where that leads so when we're separate from the self-deception it's like watching the most terrifying movie 
so we can still see it going on and and we wish that it would stop and i feel like map consciousness is a catalytic state we become catalysts for something else we're catalyzing the ability to see this other world and and bring it about it's probably already there in the multiverse there's so many dimensions it's just a matter of who sees it and as they move towards it with it then it brings it into more of the energy field of the now and then other people can see it as well and in a way map is entropy of the ego and the self it breaks it up and just as food is energy Dialogue is energy because speaking in terms of perceptions and insights gives energy. And new capabilities arise when pressure is there. And there's definitely pressures on the human being to mutate. And that state is definitely a mutation. There was definitely some kind of download. And it's like waiting for more people to get the download. It's like if there's a new game out there and only a few people have it and it's a game that you play over the internet, it's not that interesting. But if more and more people get that game and start playing, all of a sudden it's just so cool. I don't play games, I just thought of that example. I do play Carcassonne. That one is fun. In a manic culture, the world would be a playground and not a battleground. And I wrote down that map is like a singularity in the brain. It erases everything. And it doesn't necessarily permanently erase it, but it does temporarily. And I'm wondering if my brain has this sort of thought of alien thing that happens sometimes. At least it did in January. That was so intense and it was really scary and I wonder if it's that way because in a way that energy is alien it's a new energy it's something alien to us and it's doing something alien it's breaking down the self or whatever it's doing who knows I'm just making crap up it could be anything that's happening and I read a statement that says living things build themselves so a fetus needs to move in order to develop the motor cortex in the brain. If something can't move in utero, then it won't develop the equivalent structure in the brain. So if we can't move in the right way in this reality, in space-time and gravity, then the right structures aren't developing in our brain, and we're not using our human faculties in the right ways. And just like when a fetus moves in utero, it's chaotic, it's spastic, it's not coherent per se, but those movements create the motor cortex so that the baby can at least learn to walk when it's one or so. And so with map consciousness, it's chaotic, it's spastic. We're in that state and we're roaming around and... and moving chaotically and we don't know what we're doing but it's developing some area in the brain so if that other environment came in if we went from the amniotic fluid of earth to whatever medium 
we are to walk in in this other domain, well now we have the brain structures that are there for us to be able to walk there or dance there, whatever we're supposed to do in this other dimension, which is right here, right now. It's just, it's probably chiral, it's probably hidden, it's probably holographic, it's probably quantum, who knows, but it's preparing the brain for something. If we can survive it, because just because there's a fetus growing in a uterus doesn't mean it's going to survive. A lot get aborted before they even come to term or don't survive birth or don't survive very long in the first days of life. And it's the same with map consciousness. It's, it's, it's part of life and life isn't guaranteed. And something really bizarre that I learned is that I was an egg in my mother's womb when she was born. So that wasn't all of me, but half of me was there when my mom was born in 54. And homeostasis has to do with changing ourselves so we can survive in different environmental conditions. So we don't say environment change, so it's always the perfect temperature for my body. We have to be able to cool our body and heat it up. And in a way, I feel like MAP is developing a new homeostasis. It's adapting us to different energy levels in consciousness. So a lot of us operate on this consistent level of consciousness. But in a way, the environment of the planet and of society is changing in such a way that we might need to access a more larger range of the energies of consciousness in order to survive. And I learned that 75% of fetuses die within eight weeks of conception. I feel like the field of mania could be a field of study. Well, that's all for today. I hope that I sleep okay tonight as well. And tomorrow I'm supposed to pick up a different vehicle a Chevy Bolt. It's a full electric. So I'll give that one a go and I will talk to you as in me later. One other thing I'll talk about is that I was watching a bit of the 30th video that Steve Pavlina did on his 30-day water fast. So he made it to 30 days on water only really impressive. But the topic he was talking about was the one thing. And he was talking about how he read a book called The One Thing and it is about just focusing on one thing. And interestingly enough, that's what I've been doing with self-dialogue. That's been my main focus is just doing that and other things can get incorporated into that. But I pretty much decided to do it for one year. And in a month or so, it'll be one year. And then I'll probably keep going till September 11th to really make it one year because that is the time that I started 
doing more videos and more days in a row than initially. So that's my one thing, focus and incorporating coming off meds and hopefully that works and probably by September 11th I'll have a different thing to do or I'll keep going with this but it would be nice if at some point I could change it into traveling around and talking with people who are into alternatives and mental health. There's an alternatives conference in Boston in August so perhaps I'll go to that or go to it next year or start doing something. I don't know. Part of the reason why I just sit and talk to myself is because it's a lot more friendly to the finances than traveling around and doing all this kind of fancy stuff. But we'll see. It would be cool to document starting a respite center. It would be cool to do a lot of things and hopefully this will just lead into other things that I would like to participate with. So I swapped out the Toyota Sienna van for the Chevy Bolt, which is 100% electric. And it's pretty fun to drive. I have to remember to plug it in tonight. I didn't plug it in yet. And tomorrow I'll probably go rollerblading and then sit at the beach for a while. And then I'll have to take the bus back. And last night I slept well again. I did the same routine. I did half an hour of coherence breathing with the app. And visualized some people I care about took my Benadryl and 300 milligrams of lithium and 25 milligrams of trazodone and it took me a little bit longer to fall asleep but I fell asleep and I slept until the morning, woke up and went pee and went back to sleep for however long and woke up with my alarm at 9 so I probably slept 11 hours and I'm feeling a little bit sleepy today. I think it might be taking the two amino acid caps. I took two before breakfast and two before lunch, and I'll take two before dinner, which might be ice cream or it might be oranges. Actually, I don't have any ice cream, so I don't think I'm gonna go get any. And so next week I might focus on driving around and doing a little bit of sightseeing because I don't know how much longer I'm gonna stay in California up to another two months or so but I haven't really gone around and seen much so I might do some different rollerblading trails or I'm not sure what I'll do but and last night I was reading my older notebook the one I was writing in when I first got here and there was some interesting stuff. It's interesting how much I wrote so quickly. It's like this huge amount of energy came through me 
and in this writing, and that might have been part of what short-circuited my nervous system. And I noticed I was listening to a neuroscience online summit and something else. And I think reading and listening to too much of other people's material can sometimes cause my brain to go into hyper-extrapolation and then almost short-circuit itself. So I'm reading quite a few books right now, but one is on that high-fat, low-carb, low-protein diet. And the other ones aren't super dense in terms of things that could be extrapolated either. So I think I'm kind of safe. And I will keep working through the stuff in my other notebook. I'm wondering if I work through it, if maybe by this first anniversary I will have less to extrapolate. Because I don't extrapolate as much when I'm editing my videos as I used to. So my brain's just not really in that mode, which could be a good thing because I don't necessarily want this to go on forever. I want something more with other people or actionable or something at some point. And in terms of my one thing, I definitely committed a year to the process and it's still going. So I might stop after June 20th. Or I might keep going until September sometime. But I'll definitely keep going while I'm tapering off these meds. And then afterwards to let myself know how I'm doing. Yesterday I wrote down a question. Why does the self block love from arising? And I wrote that down because I sort of imagined the self as this complex of values and beliefs that arise to meet the moment. And those are programmed into us according to society and family and whatever we were raised with. It's part of our conditioning. And when we meet a moment that moment is met with some kind of complex of values. And since that arises, love can't arise. So the values that have been imposed upon us by society, which are programs which aren't life, they're words, they're, they're just structures. They block this movement of love from arising. Because our values divide things up and and love can't be divided up and it can't be programmed. Say for example the self values consistency then that program to keep one consistent in the moment is going to arise instead of maybe what love would do in the moment. And I feel like when two minds meet and those programs arise, it's something different if two minds meet and the programs don't arise, then the two minds actually meet and they're just one mind and something creative happens. 
I've felt that happen a couple times. And one time it happened with this lady who I interacted with a couple times over the weeks in my first magic state. And she was selling organic vegetables. She had a store. And she was telling me that when she first got in contact with this energy, she was really excited and wanted to share it with everybody. But then she realized that not everybody understands. But one time when our two minds met, she did this magic trick where I was paying for something and when I paid I had exact change. It was really bizarre because it wasn't just, oh, I have exact change. It felt like that was created. And I'm not explaining it very well, but it was magical. The point of it, though, was the sense of that magic when two minds meet and it's just one thing happening. Kind of like when I went into the Celestine Prophecy insight of paying people for insight. And when I did that, they played back and it just felt like one movement. It didn't feel like two separate actions. Maybe I'll read some of my insights too instead of trying to extrapolate them. Solving it with thought won't work as thought is the problem and it creates conflict and problems. Yesterday I was thinking about how kids like to play make-believe and I was thinking we need a new game as adults called Make Insight because beliefs are destructive and it was interesting because the page that I left off on talking about in my notebook said Humans like to play make-believe, make others believe. But I thought it was interesting how I was thinking about that stuff. And then I looked at the last page that I was talking about, and something similar was on there. When I see you, and you see me, without the me, something is created instead of divided. I talked to Hardy Nutritionals today and they gave me the go-ahead to decrease by another eighth. So I'm on 225 of lithium and and 19 or something of trazodone, whatever three eighths is. I have three more eighths to go. and. They also said that I could start taking six of the amino acid caps an hour before I take my bedtime medications, which is those two plus I take Benadryl. That in addition to the two I take before each meal. So I will try that out tonight. Last night I had a good sleep as well and no trouble falling asleep. I did the coherence breathing thing for half an hour, which I will do again tonight. I think these next days I need to make sure to take it easy. Today I went rollerblading to the beach again 
and I will share some of that. I forgot to do the fade in and out between clips to make it a little less jarring, but I'll share it the way it is anyways. So if I keep going at this rate, I'll only be on meds for 15 more days, but maybe longer than that, because maybe at the end the taper's even smaller, I'm not sure. But I'm going to call them again on Wednesday, and then I might be at one quarter of my meds. And I'm starting to feel really good about this because I've had quite a few good days in a row, which is happening more by reducing my medications faster rather than waiting so long before reducing. And I'm feeling a little bit less like doing self-dialogue these last few days since I started taking the amino acids. I feel kind of like, meh, whatever. But I will still do some this weekend, I think, to see if I can get started on that other notebook. Because I did flip through it and there was some stuff that I feel like I could talk about, especially since I have one month tomorrow until the first one year mark that I've talked about. So if I continue on with it for the next month, there could be something else happening and hopefully it's good. Hopefully I'm off my medication or very close to it and maybe I will have done some talking about that notebook and completed and maybe I'll feel like I don't really need to keep going with that writing down insights and doing self-dialogue. Maybe I will do something completely different. I don't know. And maybe I should set some kind of vision. Maybe I should think of something and talk about it on June 20th because when I first started this, in a way, my goal was to transcend the mental health system. So if I do that in a year, which is how long I was planning to do this, well, I wasn't really planning it. I was just seeing if I could get going on that, if it would do something. And so maybe if I set something else, if that one year thing worked, maybe setting another one year something would be good, like doing videos to help others or doing videos to embody altruism or pick some of the things that I've talked about that aren't really abstract but actual things that I can embody. Because right now I've embodied talking to myself and coming off meds and then can I move into embodying those manic traits which I think is a lot more important and being able to do that, embody those manic traits while being off meds and and being okay would be really cool. It would be like just being a trans-conscious altruist and no longer identifying with having this label of bipolar 
And maybe I still carry the label to some extent because apparently it's an incurable illness, so I can't necessarily say that I'm cured. And also, Hardy Nutritional said that I have to be on this for an indefinite period of time because it's not a cure. And that made me think of Andrew Saul's video where he talks about nutrient dependency. And we transconscious altruists might just have nutrient dependencies. We might really need the nutrients for our brain. Well, everybody does, but us especially. Otherwise, maybe we use up all our nutrients and then the brain can't cope. So, um, who knows? I don't know. And also, it would be a totally different conversation in a way being off meds because I would be somebody with a label but without having to participate in any of the mental health services. And so what can I do from that vantage point? And maybe from June 20th to September 11th, I will just take that time to really settle into being off meds and also seeing what I want to do next if I do end up talking myself out of the mental health system. And I shouldn't say anything too soon because maybe something will happen and I can't completely come off the meds or, or who knows. And maybe once I come off my meds and feel okay, maybe I'll want to head home as to not risk being here and something happening where I have to be hospitalized or something. So yeah, there'll be some more decisions to make as time goes on. And maybe it would be interesting to watch some of the videos I made from the vantage point of coming off of the meds and being off the meds. So yeah, I'm not sure. It could be something quite different or maybe not. And that's assuming that this is going to work. And yeah, because I guess I'm only halfway there, really. Halfway there and getting excited. <laughs>
crap, that was hard. So last night I again slept really well. I slept from maybe about 10.30 to 9 a.m. making sleep my number one priority and that was my first night with the lower dosage from half the amount I was taking initially to three eighths and the chunk of trazodone is getting really small and I had this psychosomatic reaction like wow I'm only taking that much for sleep and it was almost a fear of if I would be able to fall asleep or not but I did fall asleep and it might have taken a little bit longer but not too bad and I went rollerblading yesterday and today I'm just taking it easy it's really hot outside so I thought I might do a bit of self-dialogue see if I can get into it I'm wondering if I'll be able to get through this bunch of notes in my notebook in the next month because today is the 11 months anniversary of talking to myself in self-dialogue and I did imagine that I would do it for a year. I didn't think I would do it for a year when I started talking to myself. I just at a certain point set an arbitrary date saying well this is when I really started so let's see how long this will go and then at some point I thought well I'll just do this for a year. So in sticking with the year at least for the first anniversary of the self-dialogue then I will just keep going and maybe that will be the self-dialogue anniversary and after that I'll keep going but doing something a little bit different. I don't know what that is yet and I was even thinking about how when this process first started about six years ago before I had any kind of label or diagnosis and that process was just going on for a good two months and it was full of energy and it was scary at times and ecstatic at times. I'm wondering if any of that will come back because that process was interrupted by the context through which it was received, which was the mental health system. And it was drugged and it was suppressed and it's been warped in all these different ways by the mental health system. But in being on micronutrients, will some of it come back? But will I have a new context to operate within that field and I'm wondering if some of the good stuff will come back some of the so-called manic energies but perhaps they won't be so manic perhaps they won't be so out of control with the micronutrients so all this time I've been on medication what will it be like not having any of that stuff in my system will some other kind of process get initiated will there be totally different things to learn being out of that context of being chemically constrained, what's going to happen? It's completely unknown. And I was wondering a bit about that because I was talking to myself about what will I talk about in the context of having a label yet, not needing the meds, if that happens. But what will I talk about if it's just a completely different dimension altogether? If it's just living in those areas that I've talked to myself at length about, but without the caveat of relating it to mental illness all the time. 
Because if I'm not on those drugs, what is it? Is it a mental illness? I don't know. And what's going to happen? I don't know. So it was interesting to think about that. And I wrote something down, and it's kind of related, but it's more related on the scary side. I wrote, in that living, scared state, if we are approached in a mechanical way, we can tell gesturetically, meaning we can read into that. It makes it worse. We are afraid of being mechanized again. People responding machine-like and with their judgment, it is the buzzkill. They translate the living according to the mechanism. Humans are mechanisms of thought. So that's related to how we have all this living energy and it's all diverse and dynamic and it tries to be categorized by other human beings trying to mechanize the person who is accessing that living energy. And I wrote down thought as unnatural selection. We are selecting for words, categories, and language and superimposing those over life. So we don't see what language itself is doing and we need to use language to point out the limitations of language itself. And maybe we need some new words for that. And language used to be more metaphoric, more based on relationships. So even when people were trying to create the language of mathematics, they were using relationships between things in order to create it. So the relationship between Earth and the Moon to figure out the pull of gravity of the planets, etc. I'm just making this up. And the theory of relativity. So math and relativity are somewhat based on relationships, but when we use language in daily life, we use it like it is what is. That it's not describing relationships and things that are relative. And we're dividing ourselves from nature using math and language the way we do now. When maybe when it was initially coming about, it was tied closely with nature and with relationships and to the things they actually represent. But now they've taken on this life of their own, like they're actually important. So we've more related them to the person who's speaking them and then those words a person is speaking is them and that's what we value and identify with and somebody attacks those words then we're all mad but it hasn't really touched the actual thing but we're taking the words as more important so a language of perception wouldn't necessarily divide us from what we see it would be more mathematically correct so the real science could be speaking the language of the moment and speaking about the me is of the past words instead of the past. And then in this way, we're using language in service of the moment, not in service of this past structure called me. I wrote down an interesting sentence. See the beauty in how the terror renews the brain. Is that energy the light in my brain that's erasing stuff to make way for new structures. There are no things, there are only relationships. Things are the word. 
words block light and make things or light creates language of relationships in the moment. We need a quantum language. And they're figuring out the quantum world in science. But if we actually spoke a language of quantum, we would just live in the quantum world. We wouldn't necessarily have to have scientists looking into it. I feel a label, like a mental illness label, encloses a person in a cage of wrong meanings. And we have to create our brain. It's not fully formed or structured. Just like we need to see in utero somewhat in order to create the visual cortex in the brain. We need to keep seeing throughout life to keep recreating our brain. And there's a lot of talk about neuroplasticity. Well, I feel the ego me is what prevents neuroplasticity because in terms of what it's seeing in the present. So it's like a contraction that's constantly happening in the brain and that's making those brain cells stronger, the brain cells of the past. But if we don't see through the past, then those brain cells wither away and there's room for more plasticity. The current way our brain sees separates us from everything else. We don't see the relatedness. I feel this energy is trying to remap the brain for beauty and richness instead of all these words. The brain is divided up by a bunch of words. And map consciousness pulls the future possibility of this beautiful world towards us. I feel like there can be an immediacy of the mind, of reality, playing on the brain instead of thought tape loops playing on the brain cells. And the thought tape loops create the brain cells in a certain way, in a certain rigid way. But the brain cells meeting reality would move them fluidly like a hand playing a musical instrument, reality meeting the brain cells, versus the brain cells always firing with this noise. And thought causes premature collapse of the wave function and pinhole perception, which is no perception at all. I feel like thought is the switch that moves us off our center of consciousness and center of gravity. So usually we're caught in a language loop or a thought loop and this blocks perception, blocks the information coming in. But when there's an in-touchness, when perception touches reality, it creates language based on what it's seeing, not based on the past thoughts and thought structures that are arising in the mind and making associations with the present moment that have nothing to do with the present moment. So that in-touchness creates the language of the moment. And then we're giving voice to beauty. Beauty can only be of the moment. And maybe that's why it's so fleeting and that's why we only have moments of awe ever so often because that's actually the beauty that is quite evasive when we're lost in our thoughts. We're lost in this world of thought and thought structures as opposed to being lost in a world of beauty. <clears throat> For some reason we're more comfortable with the familiarity of thoughts than the unfamiliar territory of meeting 
beauty. And again, I'm just making stuff up. I'm speaking in terms of possibilities, perceptions, insights. And these are ones that I had a couple months ago. So they're not carrying the energy that they did at the moment of perceiving them. At the moment of perceiving something, it's different energy altogether than even the moment of writing it down after. And then speaking it a time later, it's even less energy. So... Ideally, there would be an in-touchness of just connecting with that each moment and not having this process of writing it down and then speaking about it later. Really, it would be living this every moment of life and not making a video about it. <clears throat> so whenever we have a moment of awe of beauty, it suspends the me temporarily. And we're in a completely different dimension. <clears throat> and then if we go too far in that, we get lost. And to come back to the me when we go too far into beauty is so-called psychosis sometimes for people. Building my body to bring that consciousness back to the me structure because that's the way society is structured and it's difficult to go too far into beauty. If one was just perceiving beauty every moment, if one was just in awe every moment, that would create a different life around that being than the one of listening and paying attention to one's thoughts and past. One would be so in touch with the moment. And if we're that in touch with the moment, what place has the past? <clears throat> and then the trouble with coming back to the me after going that far into beauty is it seems so meaningless and the structures of society seem so meaningless to the point that the brain has trouble participating with them and taking them seriously. <clears throat> so that's where embody one's mania comes in. It's important to harvest that and and get back to that state. So can we play in this world of beauty? Can we play with beauty instead of playing so much with thought and having thought play through our brains? Can we have beauty play through our brains?
And I what kind of and I wonder what kind of supplementation would help a brain stay in the quantum state as opposed to coming back to the me state. I wonder what kind of nutrition the brain needs to live in beauty. It would be a different nutrient profile, perhaps. Because <coughs> even taking these micronutrients that I'm taking, if it does the same thing as the medication was doing, but at least it's not poisoning me because it's nutrition, it's still keeping me grounded in this reality. And initially my brain wanted to go into a different reality and I still think there's something to that. So I'm hoping this nutrition will help me harvest practice and body better and perhaps find a way for the brain to stay living in beauty and not burn out. Because beauty requires a lot of energy. It's a very high energy state. <clears throat> And the thing with that high energy state is that energy wants to be shared. So it's not just about how can I keep my brain in that energy. It's about how to channel that energy so it's actually a channel. It could be not that the brain runs out of energy. It could be that it gets it could be that it gets short-circuited by too much energy that's not being shared to other brains. It's a relational energy. <clears throat> And the trouble is too, when, when we do try and share, a lot of times it's met with skepticism and people are wondering what we're all about. And I think part of the trouble is that we talk to people that we know and they say, you're being different. But if we really wandered, if we were really with strangers, they wouldn't necessarily know that something has changed. It's almost like needing to disappear after one is gone through this transformation. It's almost like dying and being reborn. <clears throat> it's almost like if one was to fake one's own death, one would have to disappear from everybody they knew. I remember feeling like I had to fake my own death, but maybe I didn't. Maybe it was more just needing to be out of the eyes of people that I know. And that's one thing I'm concerned about when I go back. I love my family and friends, but at the same time, I'm wondering about this mutation thing. And if that process wants to initiate again, what will I have to do to, I don't know, I'm not sure. And I wrote down that awakening is from a small sense of self. I think I was listening to a talk called How to Train Your Brain to Live an Awakened Life by Locke Kelly. I think. These are old notes. And I feel like map consciousness definitely awakens us from a small sense of self. And to me, psychiatry is against this. It's keeping that small sense of self intact. To me, society has to adapt to allow for this expanded sense of self. What would that even look like? And apparently the posterior cingulate cortex 
or the PCC is what is responsible for all the mind chatter. And I wrote down PC consciousness, computer consciousness. To me, the PCC chatter is like the screensaver. It's when the organism or the computer is just sleeping. And the awe and beauty stops the PCC chatter. So really only beauty can stop it. Perhaps the beauty of the heart and the love in the heart. And I wonder if the ego is a hologram. It's a hologram that interferes with the brain. It actually makes us see images holographically that interfere with seeing actually. And can this human mind, this actual human mind become our trait, this living mind that we can all access, we just don't because of the way our brains are conditioned. We become traits of the mind, we become traits of the universe. Forget us having traits. On to the next bit. I can feel this process winding down. And maybe it's because these insights are kind of old and I don't know how much longer I want to talk about this stuff. The system of thought, psychosis, distress is like venom. It immediately makes the heart race. Like one can only take a few more steps till one collapses. It's important to stand strong. It's like coming down dipping down into the poisonous resonance. Like when one's attention is down, sit quietly at night. This is why it happens when one falls asleep, passing through the collective thought sphere. Thought, oh sphere, a prison bubble of thought. The importance of posture and gesture. Mania as attraction, diversion into beauty. This is the fuel, and it grows us, and the brain. The current environment is poison for that beauty, and kills the seed, and it's hard for it to flower. It's important to be fearless, and not trust authority, but the authority of one's own perceptions, as to not divert towards psychiatry. And it seems we're trying to cultivate positive thoughts and positive emotions, but these are very limited functions of the brain. Very limited in terms of its overall capacity. And thought, emotion, structures actually limit the brain's capacity. So we're cultivating that which limits the brain's capacity. And apparently oxytocin gets released with touch and I was listening to the Neuroscience Summit, and it was a talk by Linda Graham, and she talked about how if we're having a panic attack, we can put our hand on our heart for one minute and breathe slow and through the heart and remember a connection with another human being that we love and cherish. Apparently that can reduce a panic attack in one minute. And she also mentioned that oxytocin is the antidote to cortisol. So all the stuff I talked about, oxytocin, consciousness, 
is actually the antidote to this society which produces cortisol. This society is cortisol and dopamine. And I wrote a little aside. Why do we bring anything to mind to meet the universe? Do you think the universe wants to meet our silly little thoughts? It might want to meet our being. And Barbara mentioned bringing the brain out of the state of contraction because the brain can't learn when it's in this state of contraction. And to me it sounds like how the brain cells are contracting and building strength around these old structures which would prevent neuroplasticity. And she mentioned something called neurochemical synchrony discovered by Barbara Fredrickson. And this little statement is exactly what labeled people like me need in order to feel this sense that it's safe to go through this process and, and flower. When people are in close physical proximity, making eye contact, sharing positive emotions, sharing feelings of mutual care and concern that evokes a sense of love and safety. And that's sort of what friendship is all about. And she talked about support, mutual support for people who have been through the same trauma. And there's a trauma in being labeled. And so in having mutual support around that, we don't necessarily have to explain or defend anything. And she also mentioned sharing your story with people who have a right to hear it. And I wonder if one day, if people who go into these states, if their brains will be valued, if you can almost buy shares in that brain because there's some sort of value. It's seen as some kind of surprising value could come out of it instead of drugging it into a stupor. And I can see I was feeling a little bit high because I wrote, pave the way for Mannix to live free. And I wrote free manians, kind of like Freemasons, free manians. And in a way I'm figuring out my own manic brain instead of allowing what a doctor might tell me to infect my brain and prevent me from seeing the process and seeing what the brain is doing for myself. And I have to figure it out for myself. Nobody else is going to do that for me. But if I just passively accept what they say, then I'm allowing them to do it for me, but it doesn't do it for me. So then I just vegetate and deteriorate. And again, how does this energy, how does this process, how does this mania figure into the whole universe? So there's me trying to figure it out from my perspective, but how does it figure into the universe? And she was talking about negativity bias. And I was wondering, why do we have this? And when we go into a state of so-called mania or magic, we don't have negativity bias. We have a mania bias. We have a magic bias. We have a wonder bias. We have a beauty bias. Maybe these are faculties of the brain that need to be jump-started in all of us. And we're always telling ourselves our own story. But when we're doing that, we can't hear the world's story. We can't hear the story of the universe. We can't hear the story of Gaia. So as I'm sitting here, I'm kind of thinking, 
I could edit my blog in such a way that some of the entries are background to some of how I've come to where I am now because there's a lot of other people out there doing great things and also maybe even a portal of things people have tried and what works and doesn't work in terms of mitigating societal structures and moving towards manic structures or manic non-structures because it's not really a structure it's kind of this energy that breaks up all structures and it makes that structure very unstable but then a person appears unstable but what is stability really is stability in insanity the way the society is designed real safety and stability i don't know about that because after the one year i might start doing a bit more trying to find the best way to put this together to create some kind of community behind something. I'm not sure what I'm talking about. And people sometimes talk about having a coherent narrative. And I wonder if there can be a manic or magic coherent narrative. Or if really being in that state or having access to that energy is being a different narrator, not the narration of the me. Do we need to have a narrative or do we need to be perceptive and be able to narrate the universe, narrate the moment? Not create a narrative and then act according to that. It's a little bit different. It's like perceiving and seeing something so completely which may create a narration, it may create speech, or it may not. And I wonder why the brain plays with old thought. It's not like we can live by eating the food we ate last week, or thinking about the food we ate last week. So why does the brain meet the moment with these old thought structures? It's not able to be fed by the information and light of the moment when it's has that old stuff happening and with mania so-called mania we need to be careful what we put in our brains because we're going to have to manage it we have to manage our manic nervous system which is a completely different thing than before that transformation happens and we derive a lot of our energy our charge from thought, we're reacting to our thoughts. Whereas in so-called mania, in magic, we're charged by beauty and new perceptions and richness. And it energizes us quite quickly. It almost feels like if one is going to go into that state again, one really has to just go. It's like an all or nothing switch. And the mind produces images which are experienced as real. But if it's not producing images, we're not going to be reacting to those images. And the motion of emotion, the me, blocks the motion of light. The motion of light would produce a certain action if we perceive what that light is saying clearly. But we can't do that when we're emoting the me. When a human being a blank slate 
meets reality and perceives, it creates a certain action, which would create a certain world. But it doesn't happen that way when we have this motion of emotion and thought. When we're not a blank slate, we can't create as we would on a blank canvas. The brain can't see. It's blinded by these thoughts and emotions. Thank you for listening to Bipolar Inquiry. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, use your voice, craft your consciousness, embody your potential, enter a quantum paradigm. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information in this show is not medical advice. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.